Nehemiah chapter 9. I won't be reading the whole thing, but we'll be looking at the whole section. I'll look at, I'll read verses 1 to 5, and then read verses 33 to 38. But we'll be looking at the whole passage. So, Nehemiah chapter 9. It should be 427 around there in your church Bibles if you're struggling. Nehemiah chapter 9. It reads as follows. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered, fasting and wearing sackcloth, and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of their God for a quarter of the day, and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God, standing in the, stair, in the stairs of the Levites, where Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabemiah, Bumi, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kenani. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pathahiah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Now to verse 32 of chapter 9. Now therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love. Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and our leaders, on our priests and on our prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today, in all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our ancestors do not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you want them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. They do not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and their good things and the good things it produces. Because of our sins, 
Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, our priests are affixing their seals on it. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, reveal your words to your people that they may indeed behold wonderful things in it. Challenge us. Cause us to conform our lives to your word. And cause us as well when we are convicted to run to Christ in faith. Pray that you would bring us here this morning. Whatever distractions we may have, things that we are thinking about, May they be laid aside. And may this time, this 30 minutes or so, be devoted to the hearing and understanding and application of your word, Lord. I pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the passage this morning talks about confession. Uh, so confession is uh, not a very highly valued thing uh, in our church today. Not just not this church specifically, but throughout uh, Christendom, because we we don't value confession, nor do we value corporate confession. Think of the last time you went and confessed your sins to a fellow Christian, fellow brother or sister in the Lord, whom you account that 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 loves you, and ask them to pray for you. Think of the last time you did that. But the Bible calls us to confess our sins to one another, doesn't it? Think of the last time you confessed your sins to God as you prayed to him, whether at night or in the morning or before a meal. Corporate confession is minimal. Personal confession, I think, is worse. But the Bible calls us to confess our sins. It's a passage we read a lot here, here in this church before confessing uh, sins is 1 John 1 verse 9. It says, if you confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. I think we don't value confessions as we should because we don't see the benefits of it. At times it may, it may sound like you're just babbling to this person. Or you are revealing your inner thoughts to this person. They're not going to do anything about it. Therefore, we decide not to do it. We are unaware of the gravity of our own sins sometimes. That even the worst things, they go unconfessed to God and to one another. We feel a sense of entitlement to God's grace. We jump to, I am going to be forgiven, I am going to be loved anyway. And therefore, we don't, we don't value the process of getting there, the confession of sins. Or it may be that we are so ashamed of our sins that we'd rather not mention them. We'd rather forget about them, that they, they would not be in our thoughts. Our, our confessions are minimal as Christians. And the encouragement this morning from the word of God is to confess our sins. Not just to confess our sins, 
but to confess our sins biblically. That when we confess our sins, to emulate believers who have come before us and confess their sins before God. Because even though we may think of ourselves as unique, we are actually not. There are people that have sinned before you. There are people that have turned to God, that have turned away from God before you. There are people that have felt shame for their sin. There are people that have confessed sins to one another. And the Bible is full of examples about how to do that. It's meant to be an encouragement to you that you look at another sinner and say, if God can forgive this sin, perhaps this sin, my sin can be forgiven too. If these people would joyfully and gladly confess their sins before God, perhaps I can confess my sins as well. We've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, which is our second last sermon, and we are in chapter 9. And in chapter 9 comes in the same month in which the festival of booths that we saw in chapter 8 uh, took place. Uh, we saw the Israelites being reminded that they are not of this world. They did not live in their houses for a week as they uh, lived on tents or houses made from uh, straws and branches and so forth. A ceremony that God had commanded the Israelites to do to remind themselves of how God rescued them. As a way of looking back. And we also saw that this ceremony was a way of looking forward. A way to remind them that they are not citizens of this world, but they belong to the world to come. So each year they partook in this festival to remind themselves of that. And what was going on during this festival, it was a reading of God's word for about a quarter of the day. And as they came to passages that were applied to them, like the one talking about the, the ceremony of, of booths or the, um, the festival of tabernacles, they applied it. But we also saw here is that as God was building his people, they're becoming more and more aware of their own sin or their own sinfulness. We say this in chapter 9 as they confess their sins before God. There are a number of ways you can look at this passage, but you're going to briefly look at it by breaking it into seven sections. Going to be brief. And the, and the first one is, that, the first thing that we see here is that confession should begin with creatures praising God as creator. Confession should begin with creatures praising God as creator. And these people do just that in verses uh, 5, the second portion of 5 to verses 6. Let's look at it together. They first remind themselves of who they are as people who have been created by God and that God is their creator. It reads, Blessed be your glorious name, the second part of verse 5. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted and above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens even in the high, even the highest heavens, and all their stereo hosts, 
the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give them life. You give life to everything. And multitudes of heaven worship you. The first thing that they do there as they begin their confession is remind themselves that they are created by God and that God is their creator and therefore he is supreme. He rules over everything. The one who created the heavens and the earth created them. The one who created the seas and filled them with animals created them. The one who made, who filled uh, the, the, the skies with the stars created them. Creation is at the foundation of our relationship with God. God calls us to obey him, to honor him, to worship him because he created us. We are his, we belong to him. All good things that are in this world are made by him. Our reason for worshiping him, for adoring him is because we are creatures and he is creator. That is one of the things that make sin so offensive. Is that that which has been created by God now acts as if his word does not matter. Acts as if he himself does not exist. So the Israelites begin their confession in the right place by looking at the fact that God is creator and they are the created and therefore orienting themselves accordingly in God's order. The second thing we see there is that, is that confession acknowledges God's power. Confession acknowledges the power of God. We see this in verses uh, 7 to 11. Verses 7 to 11, we see a record of God's power right up against the backdrop of Israel, of Israel's repeated failure during their 40-year period as they wandered in the wilderness. It starts by uh, looking back at the God who rescued them, who, through the promise given to Abraham, brought them and said, took them and said, you are going to be my people. As they wandered the desert after they had been disobeyed him, God's power is demonstrated in the fact that he rescued them through Abraham. He preserved them as they, went to, uh, as they went to Egypt to escape famine. He preserved them in Egypt as they cried out to him as slaves. He preserved them in the desert after they disobeyed God and created their own God and acted as if he did not exist and wanted a God like the Egyptians did. God's power preserved them. So therefore, confession, their confession acknowledges this, acknowledges the power of God to preserve his people. How God has acted in the past is meant to inspire confidence in them that he will do this as they come to him in confession. Thirdly, we say that confession acknowledges God's forgiveness, his grace and compassion. Verses um, 
12 to 26. But we're just going to look at a few verses there. More especially uh, zooming in to verses 17 of that passage. It's a memorable passage to us. It, um, it's clustered in a section where God, who rightly punishes his people for their wickedness, was still willing to forgive them, was still willing to show his grace and compassion towards them in giving them the land, even though they had rejected him in the desert in uh, Exodus 32. We see this memorialized in in those famous words in uh, chapter 9, verse 17, where it says, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. These people who who rightly deserved to be deserted by God, who disobeyed him, who turned away from his love, the God who is forgiving, who is gracious, who is compassionate, the God who is slow to anger, who demonstrates his love even to sinners, did not desert them in the desert. He still showed his confession, his uh, compassion towards them. So they start tracking through that. And what they're trying to do, the Israelites, what they're doing, is that they're saying, this is who you are, God. This is how you acted to sinful and wicked people. And they are hoping and praying that God will act with the same compassion, the same grace, towards them as well. And therefore, we move on to the fourth thing, is that confession is an open confession of, what, of, of sin. It's a wholehearted confession of sin. We say that the prayer records the period of the judges, the period of the kings from verses 26 to 31. The period of the judges in which everyone did what what was right in their own eyes. The period of the kings who disobeyed God and led the people of God astray. And then we see in verses, this is uh, seen especially in verses 26 and verses 31. About how God responded to this period. As they confessed their sins, verse 26, it says, But they were disobedient to your people, even after your confession and mercy and forgiveness towards them. They were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your laws. They broke them. But how did God respond? Verse 31, But in your great mercy, you do not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. So the Israelites go through uh, the specifics. This is 26. And says, what your people, Lord, we disobeyed you. We turned to uh, evil. We did evil in your sight. This is 28. We abandoned your laws. Then you abandoned us. And your enemies ruled over us because of this. 
But God was warning his people again and again by sending prophets to come and call them to obedience. But what did they do? Verse 29, they became arrogant. They sinned against the ordinances. They became stubborn. They became stiff-necked. They did not listen to those whom God sent in verses 29. They became stubborn, that they turned their backs on you. They became stiff-necked and refused to listen. But how did God deal with them, verses 31? Because of his great mercy. He did not put an end to the nation of Israel, but he still showed his compassion towards them. He did not abandon them. He punished them, yes. But he did not abandon them. And then, fourthly, we see that confession calls us to rest in God's covenant faithfulness. Confession calls us to rest in God's covenant faithfulness. We see this in verses 32 um, downwards. We see in verses 32, it says, The great and mighty, the awesome God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love, the God who made promises to Abraham that you saw in 9 verses 7. He kept his promises despite the sinfulness of, of uh, the nation of Israel. The God who promised Abraham that his children are going to be numerous as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand. He remained faithful to himself despite the unfaithfulness of those that he had chosen. To this confession here, having started with the people of Israel, who were created by God, chosen by God in Abraham, preserved by God in Egypt and in the desert, who disobeyed God during the period of the judges and the kings, now comes back to God and says, but you, Lord, you did not abandon your, the promises that you made. You did not forget the promises. You, you did not act like the Israelites did. But you were still gracious towards them. You were still loving towards them. And now it moves on to a cry for help. A confession is meant to be a cry for help. And these people cry out to God in verses 36. They cry out and they say, no, Lord, we are slaves where we are. It says, but see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors. That we could eat its fruit and other good things it produces. The arrangement that they have at this moment that even though they've been, they, they've been allowed to come back onto the land, they are a colony of Babylon. They pay taxes to Artaxerxes as a people. They have a governor. Yes, he is an Israelite that has been appointed over them. Nehemiah, 
They have a high priest in Ezra. But they are not free people. They don't have a king. As a matter of fact, Israel would not have a king at all from this period onwards. And they would not uh, be free from colonial rule, from imperial rule, as it were. So now they turn to God and they say, Lord, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land of you gave to our ancestors. As if to remind God and to remind themselves that the status that we are in is not too dissimilar to the status that our ancestors were in Egypt. As if to call upon God, therefore, just as you rescued Israel from Egypt, they are calling God to rescue them now. Calling God to rescue them. Just as he rescued their ancestors, just as he showed compassion towards them, they are calling on God to show compassion towards them as well at this moment. They are not just uh, talking religion as it were, or talking religious history, recalling how God had acted in the past. They are not just babbling as some people do during prayer. But instead, they are taking this time to ask God for help. And they're asking God for specific help, rescue from slavery, a release from the yoke of their masters. And as they do this, the last thing we see in this confession is that there is a recommitment. Confession should have a recommitment to God. And they say this with the Israelites, that they are recommitting themselves to following the covenant, to following the laws of God, to not act as their ancestors did. Verses 38 say, in view of all of this, in view of who you are and who we are as descendants of sinners, who were rescued by grace from God, sinners who were in need of compassion, sinners who disobeyed God, and God punished them, justly so. And this is what they say to God then. It says, in view of all of this, of who you are and who we are, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, the Levites, the priests, are fixing their seals to it. They are, they are recommitting themselves to God. They're binding, the word binding agreement there, other versions would have covenant. They are recommitting themselves to God as they are confessing their sins to him. And they are saying that from now on, we are going to be men and women who are committed to obedience to your word. We are not going to act like our ancestors did, but we are going to follow your laws. 
and these make, they make this agreement, put it in writing, and the Levites and the priests stamp their authority, on the, stamp their witness of this. They are the Levites who acts as mediators between the people of God and God put their mark as witnesses that this is what the people will do. So what we're seeing here then in this confession and how we should, how we should mold our own confessions is that it begins at creation. It says, come to me and confess your sins because I made you, God says. Therefore you belong to me, you owe your allegiance to me, you owe your obedience to me as I am the one who created you. It goes on to say, to demonstrate to us that the basis for our confession is because of God's covenant love, of God's covenant-keeping love. The basis of our confession is because it's not because we are perfect people. It's because we worship a God who is, has demonstrated his willingness to forgive sinners. And this passage has shown us that look at the Israelites. Look at how wicked they were. And look at God and look at his confession. Look at his commitment. His compassion towards them. And you are meant to look at that, you and I. You are meant to look at that and see if this is how God deals with wicked, with wicked people. Compassionate. With love and with grace. Willing to forgive. Then my own sin can be forgiven as well. The second thing that we see there is that God does not sweep their sins under the carpet. God does not sweep their sins under the carpet. They, are, they, they get kicked out of the land. They get exiled. They get cast away from God's presence. They get forsaken, as it were. And spend time away from the land of the promise. To show us that God deals with sin. And how he, how he deals with sin now, that we live on this side of the cross, is by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die at the cross, that he becomes the forsaken one. He becomes the one who pays the punishment that you and I were supposed to pay. So all sins, therefore, are dealt with. To the Israelites at, their time, at this time, they were dealt with through the process of exile. To us at this time, they are either dealt with in Christ as we trust in him and he takes the punishment that we deserve, or they are dealt with in an eternal exile from God, being cast away from the presence of God. This is an encouragement to you and I to take sin seriously, 
to ask ourselves, where will my sin be dealt with? Will it be dealt with on Calvary, in Christ who died at the cross, or will I have to pay for it myself through my own exile, away from the presence of God? Of course, the encouragement is to run to God in faith. That today, if you hear his voice, Hebrews tells us, do not harden your hearts as the Israelites did when they were punished. Today, if you hear his voice, bring your sins before him and confess them. Trust in Jesus Christ, the one who is cast away, the one who is forsaken, so that you don't have to be forsaken. Put your sins there and don't carry them yourself. We're going to enter into a time of uh, silent confession together. And then I'm going to pray for us as we come to an end. So I'm going to give you a minute this morning to take sin seriously and to bring your sins before God and to recommit yourself to a life of obedience. So, just take a minute and confess your sins before him.